Well, we're transitioning into a new sermon series this morning. To begin this sermon series, I'm going to be preaching from Ephesians 4, verses 14, verse 14 through 19. Let's go ahead and turn there. Ephesians 4. Now, this sermon series is going to be on prayer. And prayer is always a relevant topic to discuss in the church. Prayer is central to Christianity. What are Christians known for? They're known by their prayers, that they pray, and the types of prayers that we pray. There are few marks of a genuine Christian. Prayer is one of them. And I know in my life, I constantly need to revisit prayer. And I would imagine that you would, you would say the same. Prayer is hard. It is hard to pray. It takes focus. It takes energy. It takes forsaking the things of this world and engaging in a mental focus on the goodness of God and on, on our need and the needs of others. It's difficult. And so if you're like me, you too need improvement in your prayer life. But I also want this series to touch on our prayer life as a whole, as a body, as a church. One area that I think that we can improve on is praying together, coming together for a corporate time of prayer. And that what we do, the, goal, the main purpose of why we gather is to, together as brothers and sisters of this body, to join with one another in fellowshipping with our God by means of prayer, by means of corporate prayer. We need to do that more. We need to come together more to pray. Yes, we need improvement in our personal lives of prayer. Yes, we do. I need that. But also as a church, we need, we need development here. So the goal of this series is going to address those two shortcomings in our own personal failings in prayer and also in our corporate time of prayer. And, and to do this, to tackle this kind of corporate issue that we have, the elders have been in discussion about having a prayer meeting. I imagine that that prayer meeting will happen towards the end of this sermon series and that we can come together as a whole church and put into practice the principles that we cover in this series on prayer. So that's kind of where we're headed. And as the elders get more, as we get more, as I get more details from the elders and from our agreements and discussions, I will share those with you. So that's where we're headed. And this morning, we're going to be jumping into some theological foundations of prayer. Our behavior needs to be rooted in theology. It is rooted in theology, and, and we, we need to recognize that. We always act in accordance with who we think God is. And the same is true with reference to prayer. This morning, we're going to be tackling the question, who is God, and what relevance does that question have to prayer I'm going to be discussing the fact that God is triune, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and the fact that God is that way has impact or ought to have impact in the way that we pray. So we're going to start with this Trinitarian foundation of prayer and see from Ephesians how this Trinitarian understanding of who God is, this Trinitarian reality of the God we worship, how that ought to impact our prayers. 
So that's the topic we're going to discuss. Let's go ahead and read our passage, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm not going to treat this passage like I usually do by doing a word-for-word exposition. Rather, what I want to do with this text, what I want to show you from this text, is that this text, along with all of the Bible, but this text specifically, this text provides us a framework for our prayer life. This passage, this text, provides us with a Trinitarian framework for our prayers. That our prayers should be impacted in a certain way due to the fact of who God is. Who God is should affect the way that we pray. It's kind of the simple idea. Now, the specific idea is this. This is what I'll be teaching this morning. This is the main idea. Prayer should be directed to God the Father in the Holy Spirit and through the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll state that again. Prayer should be directed to God the Father in God the Holy Spirit and through God the Son. So this is an idea that I'll break down into three points. And, and I, I want to make the comment, I want to make this comment, that this idea does arise from this passage but this idea is what is generally the case in scripture I'm going to be teaching a general truth that scripture teaches the general framework that scripture gives us regarding how we pray is to the father through the son in the spirit that is generally true now there are exceptions And I will detail those exceptions. But I think it's important for us to take note of the general teaching of Scripture. And what it is I'll be teaching on is this general framework. Starting with the Father, first point, write this. To God the Father. To God the Father. Prayer should be directed generally to God the Father. Looking at our passage, the Father shows up in the first three verses, and then he shows up in verse 19, and then he shows up in in, in part of the prayer that we're not totally detailing today, in verses 20, verse 20. 
But let's start in verses 14, 15, and 16. Let's see what Paul is saying to us about prayer and the Father. Verse 14, you will realize that Paul bows his knee before the Father. Bowing one's knee is a posture of prayer. Paul here is saying that he's entering into this prayer for the Ephesians. Now this prayer is directed to God the Father by Paul bending his knee before God the Father. Paul is indicating that he is directing this prayer to the Father. Verse 15, we get some theology of the Father here. It is from the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now the whom here in verse 15, we need to be clear about this. Who is the whom? Who is the whom? The whom is the Father. You'll read that right before verse 15, we have the Father named. And the Father is the whom? The Father is the whom from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. What Paul is teaching here, specifically, and what all of Scripture teaches, is that the Father, God the Father, is uniquely fatherly. God the Father is uniquely fatherly. What do I mean here? What I mean is this. In families, there is a father and a mother. A father is responsible and is the one who creates life. A father is one to whom names children. Now, it is important that we understand that an earthly father is not identical to our heavenly father. It's not identical. There are differences, significant differences, but there are also similarities. And trying to pull out those similarities, our Heavenly Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is in some ways similar to earthly fathers. And one way that our Heavenly Father is similar to earthly fathers is verse 15. It is God the Father from whom all people originate. It is from God the Father who gives every family in heaven and on earth their name. Now what this is teaching is this. All persons of the Trinity are involved in the act of creation, in the act of redemption. Anything and everything God does, all persons of the Trinity are involved. However, different persons receive different emphases in Scripture. And the Father here and throughout Scripture is given the specific emphasis of ordaining, creating, governing, and supervising. It is God the Father who sends Jesus Christ the Son. Now, while Jesus is totally active in His sending, it is the Father who does the sending. The Father has a specific role to play. And in prayer, that role is that we mainly and generally direct our prayers to God the Father. For it is He who answers. It is He who grants 
the answers to those prayers. Looking at verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. Now, who is the he? We want to trace the subject here. Who is the he? Is it Jesus? Is it the Holy Spirit? Does it even matter? That's that's an important question we should ask. It does matter. This he here is the Father. Paul is praying this prayer to the Father. And who is it that he is praying to grant the answer to that prayer? It is the Father. This he here is the Father. That according to the riches of the Father's glory, the Father may grant you to be strengthened with power. Paul here is looking to the Father. He is redirecting his address, his request, his prayer to the Father. Now, this does not mean that the Son and the Spirit are not also involved in prayer. And this also does not mean that you cannot pray to the Son or to the Spirit. It does not mean that. What I am teaching is the general framework of Scripture. I believe that Scripture teaches that generally, as we pray, there is a framework. And the person to whom we address prayers is God the Father. But as I said, there are exceptions. This is one exception. Revelation 2.20. Jesus is addressed in the New Testament with prayers. Revelation 2.20. He who testifies these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. This is how the church responds to Jesus telling us that he is coming soon. I actually think this is Revelation 20.20, not 2.20. This is what the church says. This is what we say to Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray to Jesus and we say to Jesus, Come, Lord. Come. So we can and we should do that. But the general posture is praying to the Father. And this is a very interesting theological observation I've made. And I, I would encourage you, I would encourage you to test this and see if this is true. So as I've studied this text, and as I've thought about how each person of the Trinity fits into prayer, I've realized that Jesus prays repeatedly in the, in the New Testament. In his earthly life, he continually prays to his heavenly father. And in his heavenly ministry, he's praying for us. He's praying for you right now, dear Christian. And we will cover that next week. We will cover Jesus' prayer life for us in heaven next week. Jesus is praying for his church. He's praying for you. And his prayers are directed to God the Father. And the Spirit also prays. We'll cover this in two weeks. Romans 8.26 says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us with groanings of inexpressible words. So the Spirit himself prays, prays to God the Father. So we have God the Spirit praying for us to God the Father. We have Jesus praying for us to God the Father. Now, does the Father ever pray to Jesus or to the Spirit? Anywhere in Scripture can we find that idea taught? I do not believe that we can. 
If I'm wrong, please point that out, and I will correct that from the pulpit. But I don't believe that the Father prays. I don't believe that the Father prays to the Son, or the Father prays to the Spirit. I believe the Son and the Spirit pray to the Father. The Father is never recorded to pray in the Bible. So kind of wrapping this up, what does all this mean? I think it means this. Our prayers ought to be addressed and directed generally to the one to whom does not pray. Our prayers need to be generally directed and addressed to the one who never prays. And that is God the Father. He is the one who is chiefly, he chiefly ordains, he chiefly oversees, he chiefly governs. And I believe that it is he who chiefly answers prayer. So in a general way, dear Christian, what I'm saying is that the pattern of prayer found in Scripture and found in this passage is that our prayers should be generally directed to God the Father. All divine acts begin and end with Him. He ordains that we pray, and He is the one who ordains the answers to our prayers. Generally, we should pray to the one who does not pray. Now, what about the Spirit? How does the Spirit factor in? Segwaying into my second point, write this. In the Spirit. In the Spirit. We generally do not pray to the Spirit, but how does the Spirit factor in to our prayers? Verse 16. Paul has this request to God. He asks God to grant the Ephesians to be strengthened with power. But Paul also adds this prepositional phrase. Through his spirit. Paul's request is not only to God, but it also incorporates the spirit. Paul asks God that he would answer this prayer, that he would grant strength through the spirit. Now I take what through the spirit means is the spirit serves as God's personal agent in accomplishing his will. God ordains, God the Father ordains and decrees. God the Father has a will. The way he accomplishes his will in this world, specifically in prayer, is that he uses the Spirit to accomplish prayer in our hearts. Specifically, what it is that energizes the Christian, what it is that gives energy to you in your Christian life and in your prayer life, if you wake up one morning and you feel a passion and a burden to pour your heart out to God for others, to seek to know God better in prayer, the Bible teaches that the reason why you feel that way is God the Holy Spirit is in you and is energizing you to pray. And when you pray, that is the direct result of God the Holy Spirit. God ordains us to pray. God commands us to pray. Church, CBC, pray to God. 
And the way that God accomplishes that in us, the way that God the Father accomplishes that in our lives is by means of the Spirit, specifically the power of the Holy Spirit. To explain this by means of illustration, as a father and with my wife, there are many household responsibilities and duties that we need to take care of. And one of those duties is checking the mail ever so often. See if you have a Christmas card or a bill, something like that. And with the Christmas season, our children have been extra excited to check the mail. And to, to serve them, to allow them to, to have this joy and this happiness, this expectation of opening the mailbox and finding something, either some type of treat or a letter or a toy, we, let them, we tell them, hey, go check the mail. The mail came. Why don't you go check the mail? It is my wife and I who give that directive. We give that directive. And the, accomplish the accomplishment of checking the mail is done by means of a personal agent. It is not us. We do not go out and check the mail. We will send our children to do our bidding. That Our children are acting as a personal agent. There is this directive that is given, and the action of checking the mail is accomplished by a means, by a personal agent, namely our children. The Holy Spirit is kind of like that. God has a will. God has a plan. God gives us commandments. God calls us, commands the church to pray. The way that God the Father produces prayer in you is by means of his personal agent, God the Holy Spirit. So dear friend, if you want more power in your prayer life, if you want that presence, that divine presence that drives you towards prayer, your hope is God the Holy Spirit. And what you should do is you should ask God the Father to energize your prayer life by means of the Spirit. It is the Spirit's job and task uniquely to drive you to the Father, to empower your prayers, to give you greater passion and drive in prayer. If you're dry in your prayer life, you need more of the Spirit's power. That is the Spirit's job. And as you pray and when you pray, it is because of the Spirit. So we should pray in light of His power. We should pray in light of his dwelling presence. We should pray in light of knowing that what it is that energizes the Christian's prayer life is the Holy Spirit. Praying in his power, pursuing his power, being knowledgeable of this power. Pray to God the Father and pray in the Spirit. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, third point. I imagine you know where I'm going with this third point. Through Jesus, right? Through Jesus. Prayers should be to, generally, to God the Father. Generally, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And generally, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus shows up a number of times in this passage. 
the main takeaway that Paul wants the Ephesians to get from God the Father in his prayer is to love Jesus more, to know Jesus more, to know his love specifically. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, verse 19, I, I take it to be Paul's main request, that, that he wants the Ephesians to, quote, know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is the main thing that Paul is praying for, what he wants the Ephesians to have. And just as a brief parenthesis, as I touched on last week, the love of God for us. Dear friend, look at the love of God, the love that Christ has for you here. This love surpasses knowledge. You believe in the love of Christ. Amen. You should, you, you should give all of your life to, to, to that object of knowing Jesus' love for you more. But at the end of the day, you have to realize that Jesus' love for you, your understanding of it just scratches the surface. Jesus' love for you, dear Christian, surpasses your ability to understand. Jesus loves you far more than you can ever think or believe. And for the non-Christian, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, if you do not know the love of Christ, how can you reject this love? And this love that Jesus has for you is offered to you in your sins. The way you must and ought to respond to Jesus is not by fixing your life, but by accepting this surpassing this knowledge, this love that surpasses knowledge, free of charge. That's the type of love that Jesus has for Christians and that he offers to the world. So the main idea here is Jesus' love, the love that he has for the Ephesians. Paul wants the Ephesians to know this love better. Now, I, I kind of want to make a theological point here. Jesus' love is the main content of this prayer. But Jesus' love, theologically, is also what makes prayer possible. Jesus' love is the content of this prayer, but it is also what it is that makes prayer possible. God is infinitely holy, infinitely good, infinitely right and just. Now we, as you know are not like God. And so there is this problem. There is this separation. Our sins separate us from God. So for God to incline his ear to listen to us, we must have some means of access to God the Father. The curtain has to be torn. Now we know that after the Lord Jesus died for our sins, the Bible records that the curtain that separated the people of Israel from the presence of God was torn. What that means is that it was by means of Jesus' love expressed through his life, death, and resurrection for you. It is by means of his love that we have access to God. It is by means of his love 
that God condescends to listen to our prayers. Prayer is only made possible by the love of Jesus Christ. Prayer is only made possible through Jesus Christ. Yes, we can be energized to pray, but if we don't have that access to God the Father, if God the Father is opposed to us in our sins, He will not hear our prayers. So we need a mediator. We need a mediator to fix this problem of separation. And that mediator is the Lord Jesus Christ. First Timothy. For there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. What Jesus does by means of his blood, by means of his atonement, he makes prayer possible. We come to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his mediating office, through his means of priestly sacrifice. Dear friend, we do not come to the Father on the basis of our own good works. God does not hear your prayers because you're good or righteous or you deserve that. What it is that we deserve is to never be heard by God. We do not deserve access to this throne of grace. But praise the Lord Jesus Christ that he has mediated between us and God the Father. And now we come to the throne of grace, we approach the Father in light of the blood of his Son. The nomenclature that the Bible gives to us is we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. That is not some fanciful incantation that we apply to the end of the sermon to make it so that God hears our prayers. Praying in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is a whole theology of his sacrifice and his mediating blood on our behalf. We come to the Father. God God the Father welcomes us because we come to him in light of Jesus' blood and grace. We come to him through Jesus' blood. Jesus is the one who makes prayer possible. It is the Father who hears our prayers. It is the Spirit who empowers our prayers. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ who makes it so that the Father listens to us. Jesus is the one that provides the way. So just to summarize, dear Christian, just to summarize, dear friend, as we end, let me conclude with this thought to to kind of drive home the importance of this topic. This doctrine of the Trinity is who God is. And as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of Scripture, we need to grow in our understanding of who God is. We need to conform our life to who God is. That's that's what sanctification is. The whole pursuit of godliness in the Christian life is going from ignorance to knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're always growing in that way. And because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that ought to affect our prayer life. Specifically, what I'm, what I'm suggesting this morning is the way that that affects, one way that affects our prayer life is that we pray in light of this, this Trinitarian framework. We pray to the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. And dear friend, God, God, cares, about, God cares about how we understand Him. If I ever willingly teach on a Sunday morning 
or if anyone ever willingly teaches from this pulpit on a Sunday morning that it is God the Father who died for your sins, that person needs to be fired. God the Father did not die on the cross. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, and that matters. We, we need to care about that. And transitioning to our prayer lives, we need to care about the formula and the framework, how we pray, not just the frequency, not just the amount, not just the passion that we have, but theologically, correcting our minds and our hearts to what Scripture generally teaches. Are there exceptions? Yes, there are. Is it okay to not pray in light of this pattern? Yes, it is. Will God hear your prayers if you don't pray in light of this pattern? Absolutely. If the Lord Jesus has saved you from your sins, he will absolutely hear your prayers. To be heard by God, what matters most is not this framework, but the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what matters most. But I do believe this pattern makes, makes best sense of Scripture, and therefore we need to conform our practice to this. And I would encourage you to investigate this on your own. Don't just take my word for it. But if you find that you are convinced, and if you, f if you find that this is a helpful framework for understanding Scripture, and understanding a theology of, of, of prayer, do pray this way. And teach others to pray this way too. Pray this way in, in, in a general way. Make this the general way that you pray. And now we transition to communion and, and we will hear a song to prepare our hearts. And I think the, the only fitting way to end a sermon like this is to pray to the Father through the Son and the Spirit. So w will you pray with me? Father, I, I, I give you all praise and glory and honor. God, I pray that, uh, that you would help us to pray more fervently, more passionately, more biblically, and more theologically. God, I pray that we would not pray haphazardly, but that we would care or take, take concern with, with approaching you in light of how you have revealed yourself. God, I pray that you would encourage us and empower us to pray and that, Father, we would constantly realize that all of prayer, the reason why you hear us, is, is not because of ourselves. You condescend and listen to us because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to you in light of his blood. We come to you in light of his sacrifice on our behalf. We say to you, Father, do not listen to us for our sake, but listen to us on, on behalf of your Son. And this precious blood has been applied to us by means of the Spirit. And we come to you in his power and his strength. And God, we plead you that you would hear from us and that you would empower us to pray and that you would give us a greater and deeper appreciation for the blood of Jesus Christ, which makes prayer possible. Father, be with us as we partake of communion. And God, help us to more faithfully pray in accordance with the amount that we pray and also in accordance with how we pray. Bless your name, Father because of what Jesus has done and in light of the Holy Spirit. Amen.